Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Richard Cox and Stephen Azeala from the Innovation, De-Risking, and Enterprise Acceleration, also known as the Idea Center at the University of Notre Dame. Dick joined Notre Dame in 2008 as the director of the former Office of Technology Transfer. With the creation of the Notre Dame Idea Center in his current role as the director of licensing and business development, Dick's primary responsibility these days is in the marketing of new technologies to potential licensees, negotiating licensing terms, and constructing workable licenses and other commercialization agreements. Working with Notre Dame's faculty as they identify solutions and develop technologies to address some of society's most challenging problems, Dick and the tech commercialization team help accelerate and amplify these solutions by finding industrial partners who have the resources and expertise to bring new technologies to market. With the Idea Center's focus on tech-based startup creation, the commercialization engine team is at the center of the evaluation, de-risking, and business development activities working in close partnership with the New Ventures and Investments Group to create, promote, and launch new startups out of the Idea Center. Prior to joining Notre Dame, Dick was previously the director of the Office of Technology Transfer and Economic Development at the University of Hawaii and held similar leadership positions at the University of South Carolina, the National Technology Transfer Center, and the former University of Tennessee Research Corporation. Over his 29-year career in university tech commercialization, Dick has helped commercialize several hundred technologies in a dozen or more commercial sectors in areas as diverse as forestry, tropical agriculture, pharmaceuticals and diagnostics, to manufacturing, education, and environmental remediation. He is a longtime member of Autumn, where he has served on operational and organizing committees, recently heading an effort to develop a professional exchange program and is a frequent speaker. In addition, Dick is currently on the board of directors of the Midwest Research University Network. Dick has a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Management and a Master of Business Administration, both from the University of Tennessee. Stephen is a faculty engagement associate with the Idea Center. In this role, Stephen partners with Notre Dame faculty to identify research discoveries and innovations, which serve as a basis for invention disclosures and commercial opportunities. Stephen also acts as a primary point of contact for faculty and is responsible for communicating the Idea Center's roles and processes to these faculty. Stephen gained experience working at the University Industry Interface as a Senior Business Development Coordinator at the Industrial Biotechnology Innovation Center in Glasgow, Scotland. This role required him to manage, track, and drive industrial biotechnology sector engagement across Scotland by building meaningful relationships with stakeholders from industry groups, businesses, academic institutions, and the public sector. Stephen worked to connect businesses with a technological need to both funding mechanisms and academic subject matter experts 
in order to facilitate progress along the company's innovation journeys. During Stephen's academic research career as a PhD student and a postdoc, his work resulted not only in multiple publications, but also in multiple invention disclosures and a provisional patent application. Stephen earned a PhD in chemistry from the University of Notre Dame and a BS in chemistry from Grand Valley State University. And with those very impressive backgrounds, welcome to the podcast, Dick and Stephen. Thanks, Lisa. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you both so much again for taking part in the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, Dick and Stephen, I'd like to start the podcast off generally asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us each a little bit about your background and how you ended up in South Bend at Notre Dame? Uh, Sure, I'll start. Um, So I've been uh, in the field for 29 years, almost 30 now. Uh, Started back in 1990 uh, at the University of Tennessee. And uh, after I just finished my MBA there and uh, I came at this um, from a manufacturing background had uh, got my uh, degree at Tennessee, my first degree at Tennessee in industrial management, had worked in the industry for about six years or so. Uh, my wife and I had had gotten married along the way. My wife and I had a small um, mortgage company in Atlanta in 1987, uh, which pretty much went under when the um, uh, stock market crash of October of 1987. So we struggled along for a little a little bit longer, um, but we weren't making it. We needed to do something different. And so my wife said, you know, you always want to go back to school and get your MBA. No time like the present. And so uh, I applied late, got in, and uh, actually on a, a provisional uh, basis and uh, put my first semester's tuition on a credit card, moved in with my parents in Knoxville uh, and started the MBA program there. And it was in the first day of the orientation program that I ever even heard the terminology technology transfer for the first time. There was a fellow from Oak Ridge National Lab who would come out to talk about a program that they had started a few years before that uh, using MBA students as graduate research assistants in their tech transfer program. And so as soon as 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 we had a break, I ran up and uh, talked with him because one of the benefits of that program was that uh, they covered all of the tuition costs. And they uh, provided 10 hours a week at, was a, at what was a really great um, uh, wage then of $12 an hour. So um, that was re- actually an answer to a prayer if I could, uh, if I was accepted. Uh, I was accepted over the Christmas break, <laughs> 1988. That was a great Christmas present. And so, um, so Oak Ridge actually helped put me through my MBA program. But from there, uh, when I first learned about it, uh, after I graduated, a uh, position at Tennessee opened up a few months later, and so I was fortunate enough to get hired on there, and that's where I began. I was at Tennessee for eight years, then I went up to the National Tech Transfer uh, Center in Wheeling, West Virginia, uh, which was primarily funded by NASA and was providing services for most of the um, uh, most of NASA and, and many of the other uh, federal agencies. Um, I really missed being in the academic environment, and so I got recruited to South Carolina and uh, jumped at that chance then after a couple of years in Wheeling. Uh, at South Carolina, the fellow that hired me um, was actually a, uh, an interim uh, a director of the research office there, uh, 
he had begun a consulting gig in Hawaii. And so about a year and a half in at, uh, at Carolina, he told me about this opportunity in Hawaii. And so decided to look at that. Um, once again, was very fortunate to have been selected for that position and went out there, was there for seven years. And then we came here 12 years ago. So I uh, have been at, at Notre Dame now for 12 years um, and have enjoyed every minute of it. Notre Dame is a fabulous place to be. Uh, it was a very right uh, place when I got here and, um, and continues to be. And so we'll talk a little bit more about some of the programming here, but uh, very excited uh, for the things that are, that are going on here at University of Notre Dame. Yeah, and then just kind of jumping off what, what Dick said, uh, Notre Dame has been a great place for me uh, as well. Um, so I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up in a small town in northern Michigan. Uh, I did an undergraduate degree at Grand Valley State University, uh, bachelor's in chemistry, and then completed my Ph.D. here at Notre Dame uh, in 2014 in physical and analytical chemistry. Uh, and it was here at Notre Dame that I had my first experience in tech transfer, though I don't know that I used uh, those exact words. Uh, I was an inventor on a technology um, something I was working on as a graduate student ended up being, um, you know, disclosed to the office. I think Dick was probably in the office at the time, uh, one of a, a few people in the office at that point. Um, so that was my first experience with tech transfer was was as an inventor, as a graduate student. Um, so I finished my degree here at Notre Dame in 2014, uh, and I took a job as a postdoc um, in Glasgow, Scotland at the University of Strathclyde. And it was during this time as a postdoc that I was kind of reintroduced um, to some of the concepts of tech transfer, or as they call it, knowledge exchange uh, in the UK. Um, and I think in the, in the UK is where I learned more about, or I kind of understood more the, the research impact component of the things that I was working on, right? So that there's a number of different ways that uh, faculty and researchers can have impact in the world, be it publishing papers, uh, training graduate students, training undergraduate students, et cetera. Um, but it was really there that my eyes were open to, to knowledge exchange and, and impact um, from a commercial setting. Um, and that really appealed to me uh, quite a bit. Um, so it was at that point, I kind of made a career pivot away from, from the research lab, um, sought some training uh, through professional organizations in the UK, um, supplemented with some self-study uh, here and there. And that led to me uh, getting my first role um, kind of at the interface of universities, companies in the public sector, uh, working with an economic development agency called the Industrial Biotechnology Innovation Center, or IBIOIC, uh, where I worked for a year. Uh, before this past year, um, the opportunity came up in 2019 to return to the States uh, closer to family and have a great opportunity to work with the team here at the Idea, at the Idea Center. Uh, so I've been in my role about a year. Uh, my two and a half, maybe three years total uh, experience in, in tech transfer and commercialization compared to Dick's 30 um, is, is pretty small. Um, but I'm really excited about the opportunities and, and um, really excited to be working with the team here at the Idea Center. Now, I think that's a good segue for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the Idea Center at the University of Notre Dame. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, sure. I can give you a, a quick overview of kind of the history, how it came about, if, uh, if that would be interesting. Um, so the, the original vision for the Idea Center uh, came about probably five and a half or six years ago. Um, the VP for research here, Bob Bernhard. Um, found himself being pulled in a lot of different directions. He had responsibility uh, for the research office, of course, and also for tech transfer and for Innovation Park, which is uh, wh where we're physically located now. Um, uh, but it's a, a, a forty was at the time a forty thousand square foot incubator is now eighty thousand square feet with some plans to grow, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, and uh, and the university had really stepped forward to 
be much more involved in the community and the state on a you know a state level and so forth, um, particularly with regards to uh, outreach and economic development and those sorts of things. So Bob found himself being pulled in a lot of different directions and realized that he needed to aggregate some of the the, the reporting responsibility under him up into a single uh, focal point. Um, so he enlisted the help of uh, one of our now trustees to kind of think about what something like that would look like, um, formed a small working group uh, that I was part of, and uh, five of us kind of came together, uh, you know, threw out a bunch of ideas and, and coalesced around the idea of a separate entity that would be the focal point for things entrepreneurship related with regard to university commercialization. Kind of concurrent with all of the, the growth of the Office of Tech Transfer uh, and Innovation Park, the College of Science had launched a Master's of Science in Patent Law. Uh, the College of Science and the College of Engineering had uh, jointly created a, a one-year graduate program called the ESTEAM program. Uh, training primarily scientists and engineers about how to commercialize technologies, new product development, and that sort of thing, making the business case for um, new product opportunities. Uh, the business school had a, a business plan competition, had a, uh, an entrepreneurship center at the time. Um, and so we routinely bumped into those folks, but there wasn't really any kind of focal point. And so that was the idea of was the Idea Center would be this focal point for those kinds of interactions as well as tech commercialization. Put together the idea and took it to the Board of Trustees, who actually, uh, concurrent with that, had embarked on a program to uh, try to enhance the university's overall uh, research impact. Um, so it was an ongoing discussion with the Board of Trustees. Um, and, and so these two working groups actually kind of came together um, the idea for the uh, Idea Center, or the plan, I should say, for the Idea Center was submitted to the board, and they said, we love it, but you're not thinking big enough. This is a really important thing, and it deserves its own VP. Uh, you're going to need kind of the horsepower of a VP-level person to be able to bring all the resources together and uh, get the attention that this really deserves. And so with that, was um, kind of tore up the plans and begin to reimagine what that would look like. Um, but, uh, uh, but before, you know, rather than rewrite the plan, actually went out and did a nationwide search for a director to help uh, create that vision. And so our vice president for innovation, Brian Ritchie, found him. And, uh, and so he became the, uh, the first VP of innovation for the Idea Center. And so uh, as a team, I would say that the vision has has grown um, under Brian's leadership uh, over the last four years. Just to piggyback off of that that kind of vision that, that Dix mentioned here, um, the vision from the high level for our organization is is to become this best in class player in the commercialization and innovation space while making the world a better place. Um, so that's our kind of high level vision. And in our, our weekly staff meetings, uh, we, we reiterate that. Right. It's part of our um, part of our process to to be really focused on what is the vision that we're trying to create. And we actually kind of recite this as a team, our, our vision, uh, the part I just me mentioned, our mission to unlock discoveries, fuel genius and advance the common good. And then also our values. We have a set of seven core values. 
uh, chief among them is probably failing forward. Uh, we're, we're really keen on um, trying new things uh, and, and making what we call, quote, bold fails. Um, so just uh, it's effectively applying the scientific method uh, really broadly, right? Um, come up with a hypothesis, test it, go do it learn from it and make adjustments um, to, to your process and, and to what you're working on. And that's really core to, to everything that we do within the Idea Center is this concept of, of failing forward and, and trying new things and, and continually improving uh, on everything that we're working on. Given that the Idea Center is the fundamental resource for all commercialization and entrepreneurial activities at the University of Notre Dame, can you tell us in a little bit more detail about the types of activities that the Idea Center provides? There are kind of four uh, core activities, if you will, at the Idea Center. There is technology commercialization. There is uh, entrepreneurship, uh, education, uh, and 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 practice for students. So this uh, this whole idea of entrepreneurial entrepreneurship education uh, with the Esteem program. And so what's interesting is that once the Idea Center was launched and began to you know, craft this vision for what it wanted to become, what we wanted it to become. Um, pretty soon, it made a lot of sense for like the esteem program to move over to the idea center rather than stay siloed over in engineering and science. Um, likewise, for the business plan competition and for the uh, entrepreneurship education that the that the uh, College of Business provided to bring it over to the Idea Center and make it um, something that was fundamental to the center, to the university, but also available to students all across campus. Because prior to that, um, each of the colleges was kind of siloed with, with regard to which students were, you know, could qualify for these various, these various programs. And so there was not a whole lot of, you know, student um, interrelationship, whatever, between the colleges little bit between College of Science and, and College of Engineering, uh, but not so much between uh, business and, and some of the other units. So um, so all of that has kind of coalesced under the, uh, the Idea Center. Uh, then we have, of course, the physical facilities uh, part of this, which is uh, Innovation Park, which has since doubled since the um, uh, Idea Center launched four years ago. Uh, we moved into the second 40,000 square foot building three years ago. And there are plans on the drawing board for the next building. And then there's room for two more after that. So total, there uh, is room for 200,000 square foot under roof of incubator, accelerator, uh, classroom, and makerspace. And then the fourth uh, element of this is, you know, kind of stakeholder engagement. And so, which is a absolutely critical part of everything that we do. And so really reaching out to uh, all of the folks that you would expect, but uh, uh, expanding the audience from originally, you know, like faculty inventions to student inventions, uh, then to alumni, even to the community. And so we're a place now where literally anybody from around the world that has an idea that sees an opportunity to, um, to work with, if it's a good fit, we'll find a way to work with it. 
Yeah, just to reiterate on that last point, you know, the four key stakeholders that, that we kind of see ourselves serving are uh, the faculty and research community, the students, alumni, and then our broader community, um, the South Bend Elkhart area, Indiana, uh, the United States and, and worldwide, right? Now, we, we take a broad uh, view of who we see as stakeholders in the work that we're doing, uh, mostly going back to that to that mission part, right, to, to try to make the world a better place. So. So, Dick, you mentioned about the innovation park. Can you tell us a little bit about all that's going on over in the innovation park? Yeah, sure. So, um, in addition to providing uh, incubator space for startups and uh, and companies that have relationships with the university um, and and want to strengthen those ties, uh, there is the uh, entrepreneurship education component that I talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, so the esteem program, uh, there is now a undergraduate minor in entrepreneurship, um, as well as the uh, business plan competition. So all of that is housed there. We have the iLab, uh, Innovation Lab, which is, um, I, it's more than a makerspace. Um, it is uh, educational. It is um, uh, experiential. Uh, it is a play to, it's a place to play and to work. Uh, it, it's a community resource. Uh, literally anybody from the community can walk in and with an idea and start talking to somebody, sketch it out and, uh, you know, and, and make a prototype uh, out of whatever materials may be available there. So there's that. And, um, and then there are some plans. There have, there have been different university offices that have been in there from time to time. Uh, and so there are a couple of new programs that have been started up at the university or, or, or in one case, an existing program, but um, that we bump into from time to time and it kind of makes sense for them to be over there. And so uh, the plant, they it hasn't been announced yet, but we know that there are a couple more programs from the university that are, uh, are, are going to show up over there sometime probably in the coming year. So switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about some of the funding opportunities that are available at Notre Dame. Uh, starting with the McCluskey New Venture Competition. Can you tell us what this venture competition is, how it works, and how much money is generally awarded? So it used to be a, a business plan competition, but, but that's really not what you know teams are getting judged on. They're getting judged on whether they've got a real business, you know, a, a viable business opportunity in front of them. And so it's become a new venture competition, which I think is is becoming, you know, kind of in vogue across the country, but, um, at 300 plus thousand dollars in, uh, in total prize money, um, uh, or in-kind contribution that is available to the teams, uh, teams literally can come from anywhere. The only qualification is every team has to have at least one Notre Dame student on the team. So we have, uh, student teams, all student teams. We have, um, alumni teams. We have community teams, um, and so it is an open competition that, uh, you know, we're just looking for the very best opportunities, you know, have a chance to take a look at and give students an opportunity to be involved in that, in the educational element of crafting a business plan and putting together a plan for a, a new company. I think that's a great segue to a, a unique and creative aspect of your office, specifically the three-step process you use when evaluating inventions and commercial opportunities. Can you tell us what this three-step process is and how it works? 
Sure. Yeah, I think I can take this one. Uh, so the goal of the commercialization engine process is to understand uh, the opportunity around a specific technology or business model or or whatever the, the concept is for the business um, and try to understand the, the its capacity to have impact. Right. Um, so in my role specifically um, around faculty, uh, as I mentioned before, there's a number of different ways that faculty have impact. Um, and this commercialization route through this engine process is just one more avenue um, that we we try to offer to the faculty. Um, so, you know, this all this process from from my perspective as, as the faculty engagement associate uh, starts with the disclosure and the invention disclosure. Um, but once we have that invention disclosure from the faculty, there's effectively a three step process that we go through uh, to try to um, to first evaluate the technology, uh, to de-risk um, that technology and then eventually um, hopefully uh, have some form of enterprise acceleration around that tech. Um, so the first step, the first step after we get the disclosure is the risk assessment. Um, so this is usually about a 12 week process from the day we get it uh, in, as a disclosure through when we're delivering a result from our risk assessment process. Um, so this is meant to be kind of a, a, an analysis of the technology um, that aims to understand the opportunities and risks associated with commercializing that tech. Um, so this is performed by our risk analysts who are often junior and senior engineering and science students um, who have been uh, specifically and explicitly trained to gather the sort of information that we need uh, to do these risk assessment reports. So they're really good at, at gathering and collating this information, whether it's um, from secondary research or from interviews or what have you. Uh, and they've been specifically trained to, to kind of go and, and get this, this great information for us so it informs our decision making moving forward. Um, so this all feeds into what we call a risk scorecard. Uh, so you look at a number of different um, attributes of a given technology, um, its technical maturity, uh, the market size or total addressable market, um, any risks associated with intellectual property protection, competitors, regulatory barriers, et cetera. Uh, and for each of these individual criteria in our scorecard, we try to give that technology uh, a rating. So it's, a, it's basically a traffic light rating that we use. Uh, green, meaning uh, awesome, looks good to go. Yellow meaning either we're not so sure or we have some inconclusive um, evidence in front of us or red that the evidence that we have in front of us indicates that this is not um, not there yet on that specific aspect. Um, so every Monday uh, we have a, a team meeting um, called our, our risk assessment meeting. Uh, there's probably 10 members of our team that are um, that are in these meetings uh, every Monday morning at 9 a.m. where we review these these risk assessments that the, the student analysts have put together um, along with their supervisor. And and we all hear what's happening here, and we think about you know what's um, what's the plan for the future. Um, so once we have a, a good scope for this, and we, we we're allowing the report to inform the next steps of that technology, uh, we deliver that report to the inventors or the founding team, um, whatever the source of of the idea is, whether it's faculty, alumni, students, etc. Um, and really, the goal here is is this is going to inform the next steps. This risk assessment um, helps us direct what is next for that individual technology. Um, in some instances, if we've got a lot of reds in our risk scorecard, it's it's a no-go, right? So we won't dedicate any further resource to that opportunity. Um, but if we if we see an opportunity and the risk scorecard looks appealing and we think we can um, de-risk and address some of those, those risk elements, uh, we move it to the next step in the process, which is de-risking and validation. Um, and the cool thing is, is that this risk assessment dovetails perfectly into de-risking and validation. It kind of gives us um, a, a playbook to work from. Um, and understanding what steps need to be taken uh, to, to make this a, a successful commercial venture. Um, okay, so first step is risk assessment. Uh, step two uh, is this next one, which is de-risking and validation. 
Um, and then this is where the work is done to really turn that innovation or tech development um, into a product or, or a service or, or um, something that could uh, survive in the market. Um, so there's lots of uh, what we call plays that we can run here. So there's probably tens of things that we can do um, to try to address the, the risk that we've identified in the previous step. Um, but they generally fall into one of three buckets. Uh, so I like to liken this when I when I speak to faculty, I liken this to uh, football, being that this is Notre Dame. Uh, when you watch a football game, uh, there are 11 offensive players on the field and they can be in a bunch of different configurations. They can run thousands of plays. But generally, those plays fall into one of two buckets. It's either a run play or a pass play. Uh, it's the same kind of thing with the plays that we are running here um, in de-risking and validation. They fall into one of three buckets. Um, problem validation. So does this technology solve a real problem uh, in the market? And then market validation or product market fit. Um, you know, what does the business model look like? What could pricing look like? Um, can we get positive market signals for this technology that um, help us um, validate that it can move forward? And then finally, tech validation. Uh, so we're in this tech validation component, we're designing tests to try to understand if this technology can progress through the TRL levels to hit commercially relevant milestones. So uh, we get the disclosure in, risk assessment, provided it gets a go, it goes to de-risking and validation. And we're always back and forth between uh, de-risking and, and the risk assessment to make sure that we're solving the next biggest uh, risk factor for an individual technology. Um, but provided everything looks good in de-risking and validation, it moves to um, to the third step, which is enterprise acceleration. And given that Dick uh, has has more hands on this than I do, I think I'll let him speak about the enterprise acceleration component. Sure. Thanks, Steve. Uh, so really, enterprise acceleration is the, um, the step where technologies get licensed, uh, either to startups or to existing companies. And so one of the hallmarks of the Idea Center is that we are very intentional about looking for good startup opportunities and bringing the resources together to have successful launches. And so we have a number of resources that are available to us, but, but in short, the default is to look for startup opportunities, to marshal the necessary resources, to find a good founding team, help find you know, good experienced board members, necessary capital, all of that to have a successful launch. And so we can, we can actually start those and incubate them inside the center for a short period of time while we're bringing the resources together, or we can reach into the network and find entrepreneurs who are looking for kind of their next opportunity and invite them to come in and play in the sandbox for a little bit, if you will, to find something that, you know, strikes their interests and, um, you know, and then help them to bring together all the resources that are necessary. That's so the startup route. And then the other, of course, would be to license out to existing companies. Uh, we actually can use the resources of the Idea Center to help de-risk uh, even further if we need to. But this is much more traditional, you know, kind of tech transfer, looking for companies that are, you know, well-suited, have the necessary resources and so forth to uh, take a, a very early stage technology and turn it into, you know, a useful uh, product or service. So, as I mentioned, we have some support for those technologies. Uh, mostly we would like to provide that uh, pre-licensing, although we have in a couple of cases uh, been able to provide a little bit of post-licensing support too. Yeah, and just to, to finish that off there, the, the engine has um, does all this work based on milestone-based uh, funding. Um, so that's really how we, how we get these technologies through that de-risking uh, phase that I mentioned there. 
Um, another thing to point out here is that the commercialization engine uh, is meant to accelerate these technologies, but it also serves in part um, to provide deal flow through a $23 million return on investment fund called our Pit Road Fund. Um, I don't think that neither Dick or I have, have as much sight of the Pit Road Fund uh, since that is managed by a, a separate team within our organization. Um, but our, our uh, Associate Provost, Brian Ritchie, did do a webinar on this earlier in the year. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about this, how this ROI fund is structured and, and how it operates, uh, I'd, I'd point you in that direction. Switching gears, your office has some very unique and creative ways in which it engages with faculty. Stephen, can you tell us a little bit more about your role in this regard and how you work with Notre Dame faculty to identify research discoveries and innovations, which ultimately become invention disclosures and commercial opportunities? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, a lot of what my role is doing is uh, is existing in both the research community and the Idea Center community and ensuring that those two are speaking to each other clearly. Um, so one of the things that I think that is unique that we're doing here in Notre Dame is that we have someone whose role is who, that's their entire responsibility, right? We have an FTE, uh, me, who is, who is paid to actively engage with the faculty and research community, build that reciprocal awareness of what's happening in the labs, what's happening at the Idea Center, to build those relationships um, with the goal of building successful partnerships, right? Uh, I think we've mentioned this a few times now, but really the ambition here is to provide another route to impact for those researchers, for that faculty member. Um, part of this too is, is really meeting the faculty where they are in the commercialization journey. Um, so we have some faculty here at the university who uh, would be engaged with the Idea Center if you know uh, Dick and I didn't exist, right? They would want to commercialize the research from the jump, um, regardless of, of of what the process was, right? And there's a certain percentage of faculty uh, here at the university that are, are maybe their research isn't as prone to commercialization or they're not interested in commercialization in general. Uh, and that's and that's their prerogative, right? Um, but the key is for that, that group that's in the middle uh, to ensure that they're aware of how we can support them um, and, uh, and to build those relationships so that if there is an opportunity, um, that we're able to capitalize on that. Um, so, uh, yeah, what, a lot of what I do is, is shedding light on how and when faculty might disclose technologies to us. Uh, this has turned out to be a harder question um, to answer than I had anticipated. Um, and it's unfortunately the most common question that I get from the faculty is, hey, I think I've got an idea. Uh, what do you think? And, uh, you know, do you say, hey, um, give it to us when it's an idea and we'll work with you? Or do you, do you say, give it to us when you're ready to publish a paper um, before it gets published and then we'll try to figure out what the opportunity is? Uh, so a lot of a lot of my brain energy is spent um, trying to understand uh, with uh, individual faculty members how and when to disclose. Um, so in terms of who we're interacting with amongst the faculty, um, you know, we we kind of built a um, an active outreach strategy that's data driven, right? So we look at when we've passed when we've interacted with them in the past, uh, when they've disclosed in the past, et cetera. Um, but we also look at at other factors as well um, that are relevant to. Uh, for our purposes. And the, the goal here is really to ensure that we're, we aren't seeing great projects that are slipping through the cracks, right? So great opportunities um, that have commercial potential that, you know, are just not finding their way to our desk. Um, and that informs, you know, who we're speaking to and who we're reaching out to and who I'm sending cold emails to. Um, and, and on that last point, sending cold emails, uh, I've been a bit dogged in, uh, in the time that I've been in my role um, and, and requesting meetings and being intentional about um, sending out a certain number of meeting requests per week uh, to try to build those one-to-one -one relationships, build that reciprocal awareness. Um, and then how? How are we interacting with faculty? I mentioned one-to-one -one meetings. Uh, my preferred method of interaction with the research community is actually to attend a lab group uh, meeting, a weekly lab group meeting. 
uh, I love to sit down with um, with a research group and hear a, an individual graduate student talk about um, all the things that are and are not working in in their research. Uh, I think that that's a really cool opportunity to um, to really dive deep and to dig down into the weeds. You know, even if it's something in computer science where I have effectively no knowledge base, uh, I, I feel like I get a, you know a better connection and a better understanding of of what their ambitions are and and what their problems are and and where all the creative solutions that they're coming up with. Another way we interact with faculty is through IDF support or invention disclosure form support. Um, so not only the how and when to disclose, but making sure that what they disclose is what we need to uh, run through our commercialization engine process. So making sure that we get a significant portion of the relevant data from the jump. Um, and that also helps us with reporting, uh, which has been really a good thing for us as well. Um, so one-to-one -one meetings, IDF support. Um, in pre-COVID times, we were looking at a lot of one-to-many strategies. Um, so we had run one event, uh, and I was attending regular events on campus related um, to research community as well. We're really excited about the opportunities there um, as this vaccine is rolled out. So uh, fingers crossed and, and touch wood. Um, but finally, the, the one thing that's been um, immensely valuable in the past, uh, I would say, six months or so, is the establishment of a faculty advisory board. So this is uh, three faculty members um, who have agreed um, to be supportive of our efforts, um, and it's it's really been transformative. Uh, they've been an enormously helpful resource. Um, they're our sounding board. Um, the same way uh, I think Dick mentioned earlier, the board of trustees um, here at the university said, hey, we love this idea. You're not thinking big enough. Um, this is the same kind of advice and suggestions that we're getting from the faculty advisory board, and it's awesome. It's awesome that they're challenging us to to push hard and to really um, and to really crush it in service of our faculty. Um, you know, there are a lot of other ideas that we have and, and plans for future strategies, um, but really everything touches back um, to this um, this goal of driving impact and, and seeing the maximal impact of the research that's happening on campus uh, in the world. Stephen, it sounds like a great program and it sounds like you've been intimately involved with it being actually present. How has uh, your job gotten harder? I would imagine you've had to pivot quite a bit the last few months with the pandemic. Yeah, you know, it's it's difficult. I think this is something that we're all facing in in um, these infinite Zoom meetings and, and Microsoft Teams. It's it's really difficult to build relationships and the kind of relationships um, that, that we're trying to build that are active partnerships um, between the Idea Center and, and the research community. Um, that's been a big struggle. Uh, I will admit to that. Um, not being able to run events as well, right? So it it kind of limits the the one-to-many interactions back to one-to-one -one interactions, um, which is is difficult as well those incidental collisions, right? So uh, being out and about on campus at, at Starbucks and, yeah. and being next to a faculty member online and saying, oh, hey, uh, professor so-and-so, how are, how is that project, how's that T-cell project going? You know, have you guys, were, was your grant successful? You know, um, are you interested in applying th for a PFI grant or something like that if it's got NSF providence? You know, those kind of, um, you know, those unexpected uh, positive interactions are effectively non-existent. Um, so those have been the key challenges. Um, you know, I thought I'd be doing a lot of my work in person. Uh, and unfortunately, it's a lot more, um, you know, on the phone, on Zoom and, and via email. Um, but, you know, it's you have to be optimistic that, um, you know, the next year has good things ahead of us. Switching gears a little bit, I'd like to ask you about your office and how it's structured. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, sure. Um, so we have several uh, operational groups. and. Um, uh, just to kind of walk through that, we have the commercialization engine team and the activities that we've talked about there. 
which includes a full-time IP manager and 20 plus very bright student analysts. We have the uh, STEAM uh, program team uh, and also student engagement, which is working primarily with undergrads, but coaching students who want to start new companies. We have a new ventures group that is working with startups, managing the fund and working with startups. Uh, and that includes uh, one full-time entrepreneur in residence. We then have the marketing and communications group, which is handling all of the uh, PR marketing outreach for the center. Uh, and then of course the uh, operations group handling all the back office stuff, finance, human um, resources, you know, compiling the uh, uh, center-wide metrics and that sort of thing. That's awesome. And talking about innovations and things that come through your office, what would you say is most important when managing innovations to have the greatest opportunity for success? Well, I think from my perspective, um, just flexibility is. Um, that is just being open to the possibilities. Uh, you know, Steve talked a little bit earlier about uh, failing forward and um, and putting uh, so we, we run these plays on technologies as they come through the uh, process. And if one doesn't work out, well, then we look at the next best one. And, um, and we try to, to, you know, to fail quickly so that, so that we can be efficient with the time as we're putting these things through. And we're trying to, there are more opportunities than there are is, you know, capability to handle. And so you're trying to uh, move the ones out of the way that you shouldn't be spending any time on. And so that just means we have to be flexible. We have to be, as I said, open to the possibilities and don't be afraid to fail. Fail early, uh, try lots of different things. And so I, we have a, uh, you know, very much of an entrepreneurial mindset within the, uh, within the group. Can you describe for us some of Notre Dame's biggest success stories in terms of successful technologies and or startups? Sure. Yeah, I think I can take this one. Um, I would say in terms of what we can discuss openly here, um, that it's relatively early days for the Idea Center and the commercialization engine uh, model that we're using uh, towards building ventures. Um, but suffice to say that since the inception of the Idea Center, we've had 160 startups uh, come through the Idea Center through our process. Um, our companies have been successful in the McCloskey competition, which is which is great. Uh, we've got a few exciting techs kind of on the horizon, specifically a sensor-free uh, technology for monitoring ill patients, uh, cancer treatments using immunotherapy, um, and blockchain technologies. Uh, and we really feel like we're building up a critical mass um, uh, to kind of drive that flywheel uh, for growth and success, where, you know, success and growth begets greater success and growth in the future. Uh, we feel like we're really uh, ramping that up at the moment. Switching gears a little bit, let's talk about women inventors and entrepreneurs. Does your office or the Idea Center have any programs to help encourage and assist women inventors and entrepreneurs? And if so, can you discuss those in a little bit of detail? Yeah, Lisa, that's a great question. And uh, I'm, I'm honestly a little embarrassed to say that we don't have anything explicit at the moment, unfortunately. Um, so our team is, is keenly aware of the gap uh, in inventorship and venture funding between men and women uh, when it comes to researchers and, and entrepreneurs. And we do see some of that gap in our internal numbers and that, that we're tracking. Um, so I, I would say at the moment, um, suffice it to say that we're in the process of bringing together um, all of the data and, and people required uh, to have a clear vision and, and a concerted effort to bridge that gap. Um, and not only that gap, but the gap that exists um, with other underrepresented groups in innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, so we have a few ideas that we're that we're hoping to enact in the short term, um, you know, things where we think that, you know, we can have some impact and, and we can turn some knobs and, and pull some levers uh, to try to, to bridge that gap. 
Uh, and we're we're really keen to ensure that all of the impact that we're driving and that we're trying to create um, is indeed inclusive, equitable, and accessible to, to everybody. Um, and, and the best part here is that there's huge mission alignment between this work and and what we're trying to do, right? Uh, making the world a better place, uh, you know, not just for the select few, but again, in, ensuring that we're inclusive and, and equitable and accessible. If I might, I'm, I'm, I would just add here, every one of the working groups within the uh, Idea Center has been challenged individually as a center, but but uh, within our individual individual work groups to think about these um, uh, these gaps and how we can address that. And so, as Steve said, we've got we've come up with some ideas, uh, but this is a, a it's it's not a, a management issue; it's a it's a center issue for all of us to to work on. So let's talk a little bit about organizations like Autumn and LES that you each of you are involved in. Can you tell us what organizations you're active in and what value you think they add? Sure, I can take this one first. Um, so while I was in the UK and making that career pivot that I mentioned in, in the intro there, um, I was involved in an Autumn analog called Praxis Oral. Um, and their Fundamentals of Tech Transfer or Fundamentals of Knowledge Exchange course uh, was really instrumental in giving me um, both the training and then also networking opportunities uh, that were essential for me getting a foot in the door as I was making that transition. So um, the professional development organizations are, are really helpful. Uh, I'm currently an Autumn member. I became a member when I moved back, uh, though my involvement has is, is not really been, uh, unfortunately, what I want it to be yet. Uh, and I'll, I'll blame COVID for that. Uh, it's still early days, but I'm really looking forward to being more engaged and more involved as I get more established in my role um, here at the university and and within the, the landscape of tech transfer. And uh, Lisa, I've been an Autumn member for 29 years, I think. And, you know, I think membership is invaluable for anybody that's in this business. It is a place to certainly learn from your colleagues, and so the professional development programs are tremendous, and and they are uh, broad for every element of a tech transfer program, not just the licensing side. And so I see a lot of value. I've made a lot of good friends in Autumn over the years. Also, the voice that it has been, you know, a leading voice in patent reform and other matters of policy that are important for all of us, for our country literally important worldwide. I've also been a member or am currently a member of the Midwest Research Universities Network, IMRUN, and uh, have been a board member for the for the last year. Uh, IMRUN is a great organization uh, that is, you know, collectively with uh, Midwest uh, Research Universities looking for ways to increase our impact, to showcase, you know, just the tremendous work that's coming out of uh, Midwestern uh, universities, many times we feel like we're overlooked for preference to the coasts, uh, but there's a lot of really good stuff going on. And MRUN is really stepping up to make a difference there. And then previously, I was part of an industry group called the Chemical Development and Marketing Association, CDMA. I was only a member for a short while, but I found it helpful to go to some of these industry association meetings and um, and meet some of the folks there. But uh, just to learn the kinds of things that were important to them, both topically, uh, currently, but also kind of long term. And, and so that was just a, a real benefit for me. I, I didn't do it for a long time. Um, and same with LES, uh, which I see as more of a, a business to business sort of organization. Um, there are some probably who would uh, who would differ on that. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's useful to perhaps join for a short while or to try them out just to see what they have to offer 
uh, certainly it will expand your vision of, you know, what Autumn can be if that's where your primary membership is. So Dick and Stephen, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests if they had three wishes or could have a vision realized for the Idea Center, what would that be? Um, well, I'll, I'll jump in and go first. I, what I would love to see the Idea Center be is uh, self-endowed, uh, providing a significant revenue stream to the university. We are working to become recognized as a world leader in entrepreneurship education and economic impact. We want to be a reason that students and faculty choose Notre Dame. Um, I want us to be a magnet for businesses and investors from across the country, around the world. And I want the Idea Center to, you know, be a key contributor to building a dynamic and, and you know, flourishing community. Uh, we have found South Bend a great place to live. The region is, is, is very good. And, um, and it can only get better uh, as the Idea Center grows. Yeah, I think um, in terms of, you know, uh, what my vision for the Idea Center if it could be realized, I'd just reiterate what, what Brian Rishi said on a call uh, with a, a number of Notre Dame alums yesterday uh, to the Alumni Association. Uh, the, the head of our uh, university relations team asked Brian for an elevator pitch, and he said, one word, impact. Right. And that's I, I couldn't say it any more clearly than that. That's awesome. And and I think you guys are well on your way and, and good luck continuing to, to have an impact. Well, Dick and Stephen, I can't thank you enough for all your time and insights today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Always reach me at um, rcox4 at nd.edu. Sure. And they can also email me at s-a-s-i-a-l-a at nd.edu. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again, Dick and Stephen. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to the two of you. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.